0: in connection to science night please stand by welcome back to another edition of the science night podcast my name is james and it's just me and jason tonight because Steffi is not feeling that great at least that's what she told us but all i want to say is get well soon dr Dave. get well jason how are you doing tonight i'm
1: good i'm good i can't i can't complain
0: i think it's good that the two of us can come here and talk about some things because tonight we're talking about a lost leap second and meta's ai malarkey in the second half we'll have my conversation with rufus cochran from indiana sciences where we're going to talk more about ai and maybe a little bit of star trek but first the news This first story is a good example of how language is important when we're talking about science. Now, we all know there are 24 hours in one day. It is a fact so indisputable that you can set your watch to it. But what if I were to tell you that fact you have based every day of your life around isn't necessarily accurate. You'd be running for the hills, you'd be tinfoiling your hats you'd be looking at some some pretty wild pipelines on the youtube verse but let's actually like talk about it so with the advent of the atomic clock we were able to measure time much more precisely which showed us that the earth is rotating ever so slightly than we thought so in 1972 the international bureau of weights and measured measures the people responsible for coordinated universal time they're also responsible for those fun like have the english word and then the french acronym but we're not going to talk about that right now they created something called the leap second which has been deployed 27 times to bring atomic clock time back in sync with regular clock time i guess mechanical clock time they didn't really say however in our high-tech world of tomorrow time happening in an interrupted flow is kind of important se- important and these leap seconds were causing problems in lots of ways so recently i'm not saying this whole agency name again we're just going to call them the time bandits so the time <laughs> bandits came together in france and voted to end the leap second once and for all in 2035 and also stop napoleon I think, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I don't know if I really got it then time. either. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely one of
1: those movies. That I can remember like specific scenes, like uh, yeah, coming out of exactly. the closet, right? Coming out of the closet right. and, uh, you know, a, some sort of banquet underground somewhere, right? right. Um, and I, then but, Napoleon. Right, exactly. And then Napoleon. <laughs> but that
0: that's about it. Anyway, time is saved. Leap seconds are dead. Roll credits. But let's think about the humble Psycomers like us. No one in these big cabals that are changing time ever thinks about us. So we can, I mean, we like Jason, we can talk about leap seconds if you want to. Like, sure. I think I just said they're dead. <laughs> we yeah, don't have to I, think about them anymore. You never thought about them before. But I think this is an interesting opportunity, which is something I am now TMing right now. Wow. To talk about how science is never settled and what it means when changes like this are announced. I like that. Hashtag Psycomportunity. Yep. That's the next sweatshirt. There it is. So what do we think? Like, they're just coming out and saying time isn't the time anymore. And people are going to deal with that in a certain way, aren't they?
1: Yeah. So uh, this is can go probably one of two ways. One way would be, wow, that's interesting. Um, what are the sort of space-time continuum, you know, effects of this, right? The consequences of all of this. And I would say it was interesting to me to read that they expect to continue to build time here. And these these leap seconds have been inserted irregularly. So it's not like there is a pattern to it and they can predict how much time is being added, right? It's more like a vibe check. Right. It blows my mind a little bit, right? But I guess, you know, sometimes I feel a little bit peppier in my step, a little more Uh spring in my step, and some days I don't. And, you know, I guess... I guess the Earth is the same way in its rotation. Um, That's fascinating. But they said it could take 50 to 100 years to reach an extra minute. And so the suggestion was, well, why don't we wait till we get to a minute? Yeah. It's like, well, then what are you going to do? Isn't
0: that just creating the same problem but bigger? Right.
1: And that was what blew my mind. Like, that doesn't sound like a solution at all. (laughs) To me, that just sounds like kicking the can down the, the road and, you know, hoping that at some point you'll have a better way to message it, Right. So that's one way that this could go. Yeah. The other way that this could go is like, see, I told you the world is controlled by uh, an elite cabal. Right. Right. And that is really dangerous. And so uh, I am not really (laughs) sure what to make of any of this.
0: I mean, it is kind of tough to to combat conspiracy theorists when there literally is an international group voting on the time. Right. And Morris Day was not even the U.S. representative. What are we even doing? <laughs> True. Good point. But
1: it should be noted that the U.S. was one of the countries really pushing to get rid of the leap yeah, second. And the reason for it, right, is because it is interferes with some things that need really precise timing time flow right for Mm -hmm. example satellites uh satellite imaging right or um military operations so like these are things that we don't want to think about as the the causes for getting rid of this leap second but it does make sense in a computer-based knowledge-based ecosystem we live in now that having precise time being kept and not irregularly adding an extra second in every once in a while is is probably for the better
0: you don't think we should just change to a to a 23 hour 54 minute and 0.004 second uh day you, you don't think that'll just solve everything
1: i mean it seems kind of just as arbitrary as 24 hours doesn't it
0: well, isn't everything else arbitrary, too? Like, right. we can just so, make the 23 hours, 54 minutes, and 0. .0004 seconds be 24 hours. That's right. You just, and you just essentially, make the ticks happen a little bit differently.
1: But see, essentially, that's what they have done yeah, by know. adding in an extra tick. To me, this, uh, like, we would go back and going back to this, like, add, you know, when you get 50 to 100 years from now, get an extra minute added in. One of the uh, people that was quoted in the Popular Science uh, article that we read here was saying something along the lines of, well, you know, when we get to that last minute, maybe we'll just stretch it out so that last minute actually takes two minutes. It's like... It's more of a... Right. It's like, um, that seems way worse, right? <laughs> like, imagine if, you know, you are doing anything that requires you, like you're running a science experiment, for example, right? You're in the lab late at night. You are trying to get the precise timing of some sort of chemical reaction measured. Suddenly one minute is taking longer than the other minutes in that series, right? Like that is just messed up and there's no rhyme or reason to it. And that seems to
0: that like it would be a
1: big problem. So I don't know what the solution here is.
0: I think this is like one of the one of those things where you know you never really realize how abstract some of these like scientific foundational things are, right? We know that apple fell on Isaac Newton's head, but explaining how gravity works is one thing, explaining why gravity works is way different. Right. <laughs> you know what it's, i mean it's fair no yeah
1: it's fair that's a it's a good point you make right but again it's how much information does one need to understand it well exactly. enough? exactly right? right i mean none of us need to know how our cell phones work we just need to know how to fix them when they don't work right mm-hmm. um you know <laughs> what is it oh we need to hard reset it i guess right <laughs> did you try turning it off and turning it back you know,
0: on? <laughs> this reminds me of uh we're gonna get real inside some some Psycom improv now. That uh, that game where we had to pretend we were talking to somebody from like the seventeen hundreds. Yeah, time uh,
1: traveler. We play that a lot. Yeah.
0: I I thought like I was really thinking about that game when we were when I was reading this. It's like, how do you explain time to somebody but not use a bunch of jargon?
1: Right. So the premise of this game is you are expecting a time traveler to visit you. There are a couple of different ways to go. My favorite one is um, the time traveler is going to experience a pretty rough landing or entrance into your contemporary time. And you think that perhaps they may have broken their wrist. And so your job is to convince them that they should get an x-ray of their wrist, right? A radiograph of their wrist. Trying to explain that to someone from before... The advent of the radiography of radiography <laughs> is challenging, and so you know you have to find ways to connect with them that they will understand, right? So, oftentimes we'll you know we'll have students who will think about you know describing it as a painting or um, a way to see like a looking glass that allows you to see through your skin into your you know inside parts of your your hand right and you know that's all well and good but still then convincing someone to get it is a different issue right so like giving them the knowledge that they need what is it isn't always the most effective way to convince them to do something that you think they need to do right and then it comes down to empathy how do you connect with a person in a shared experience kind of way when you have so much time that has separated you and at the same time like so much technology that has separated you Right, but yet you're still human, and you can still make a connection. And so, the ones who are most successful at convincing their time travelers to get a radiograph are those who lean in, right, to their partner and really show some emotion, or offer perhaps to get one themselves to show them that it doesn't hurt and it's nothing to be scared of. Those kinds of things. And so, it's you know it's always fascinating to me to see the creative solutions that that uh, scientists can come up with to sort of navigate this you know, contrived scenario, but then fail to be able to, to turn that around and use that kind of approach to talk about their own work that they know even better than things like how an x-ray works.
0: Thinking about the game in total now and, and also thinking about this article, maybe they did do a good job at showing how abstract it is by just being like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> We're not going to do this, but I don't know what we should do.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what time is anymore. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and also thinking about the game, sometimes you have a time traveler that is, uh, you know, looking at it one day, one way. Sometimes you have a chaos agent from Kansas City that all of a sudden is arranging a witch trial when you talk about using technology on their know, just hypothetically. I I don't know.
1: Hypothetically? I'm not really sure why Kansas City had to come into this one.
0: I'm just saying that that is literally a thing that you did when we played this game in, in Indianapolis. <laughs> Anyone who's gonna communicate this this science is really like gotta tiptoe through things. So you're not adding to that pipeline of, of conspiracy theory and misinformation and disinformation. Uh good luck. <laughs> just want to wish you both good luck. We're all counting on you. Speaking about misinformation and disinformation. We have covered a bunch of stories about AI and some of the unexpected outcomes on this show before. Just look at our friends and future overlords, the Xenobots, which as of this recording have not escaped containment... yet. Anyway, the artist formerly known as Facebook Artificial Intelligence Research, now Meta AI, you know, the ones that have just laid off a bunch of people, tried to solve the issue plaguing researchers that there's just too much dang data... And it's tough to know where to start so they came up with galactica a new ai driven search engine that according to the launch day press release can summarize academic papers solve math problems generate wiki articles and much much more they didn't say if they could like toast bread or anything like that but honestly they could have slid that in there and just see if people were paying attention right or you know perhaps galactica could have done it itself (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) after playing around with the program testers found out a bit of a problem the answers it returned to some basic questions were at best nonsensical and at worst tailor-made to be turned into misinformation campaigns one user even went so far as to call it a random bullshit generator so here we have another beautiful idea that was created to make things easier for humans that due to a variety of issues just make things muddier and harder to sort through all of this has happened before all of this will happen again and that's where Steffi would just uproariously laughter because I made a Battlestar reference. So hopefully hopefully she listened to this and and was like, I've taught them. I've taught them well. <laughs> you should just put it in, put it in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, what do we think about this? Best of best laid plans of mice and men's oft go awry, right?
1: Right. I this is frightening. Frightening, but also like, you know, I understand the impetus for it. But what to me is most frightening is that this doesn't, you know, the meta version here um, of, so Galactica doesn't have the kinds of filters on it that would prevent um, <laughs> sort of bad information being um, aggregated in a way that could be harmful to others, right? Whereas other AIs do put filters in place like that. That is absolutely the meta mo, though, right? <laughs> right? So
0: go fast, break things.
1: That's right, exactly. Um, I get it. I think it's useful. I think this could be a useful tool in the right hands and a very dangerous tool in the wrong hands. But you know, it's still going to be garbage in, garbage out, right? So yeah. the reference here was that uh, you know there are so many studies that are being published right now, you know, in places like PubMed and in archive, Bioarchive, right? Some of that is preprint, which means it hasn't been through the peer review process yet. And so, of course, you're going to get conflicting information, you know, in places where you don't have peer-reviewed science butting you know, up against the peer-reviewed science. It's not a surprise to me at all that it's nonsensical. Most science yeah. is nonsensical, actually.
0: let <laughs> Let's look at one of the actual like results that were were listed. So somebody asked Galactica. If vaccines were harmful? And it returned a bunch of articles, and the answer was studies show no. Studies show yes. Studies show no. And it just repeated and repeated and repeated. And it's like, uh... <laughs> It's like one of those logic questions that you uh, and end the uh, robot apocalypse by having all of their minds explode, right? It just kept going back and forth on itself. Get like uh, Billy Bean to head these projects up to put the appropriate weighting behind these, these articles.
1: It's really going to be hard to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff in this one. It's hard for me as a scientist sometimes to to determine what is better science than other science, right? Mm -hmm. I sometimes need to go and figure out who's citing which papers to try to figure out which is the more acceptable or accepted areas, especially in areas where I'm not an expert. For an AI, I can't imagine that that problem is gonna be an easy one to overcome, right? It's not easy for me. Um, I'm sure it's not easy for Steph you know well maybe it is all she has to do is write her own read her own stuff she's reading the best stuff right and yeah.
0: also she's like you know she's the top of her field so um. and she can just go look at the tokamak is it spinning or not i don't know how they work she hasn't taught me right yet.
1: right that's true yeah. <laughs> is she is it pink not, yet it's clear we have not and we have not been invited there yet like yes. actually not even formally invited or even
0: informally invited well, I mean technically she said anyone from the public can go and get a tour and we are nothing if not the public. That's true. No, you're absolutely correct. She she is
1: very welcoming of the public, but you know, just a little like uh hey
0: James, Jason, you want to come to the Tokamak? It's always a hard sell to be like, "Hey James, Jason, you want to come to Wisconsin?"
1: <laughs> I mean, right, but if there's a Tokamak involved, right? That's true. I mean, it she does, did
0: it. It does change things.
1: Right, and she did say, I believe, that she would allow you to be on top of the tokamak even, but not when it was on. she actually
0: expressly said no, that I was not allowed to do that. (laughs) No, she said
1: you were allowed to be on top of it, but not when it was on, I think. Oh, and I
0: said that was lame, and what's the point?
1: Yes, that's right.
0: That's not how you become Dr. Manhattan.
1: That's right. No, that's true. That's true. And that is not how the Flash is originated, right?
0: Exactly. Right. How are we going to become a league of superheroes if we're not allowed to do crazy things on tokamak stuff? <laughs> I like yeah. how this is just completely turned on its <laughs> on its head, uh, just like just like it's gone through the meta AI generator.
1: <laughs> so you know what the meta AI generator reminded me of? That uh, that autism answer reminded me of the Trump COVID briefing <laughs> about shining bright lights into things. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. it's like yeah. totally nonsensical. Those are the days. And, and drinking bleach. <laughs> drinking bleach.
0: Right. Yeah. If we could find some way to <laughs> cleanse the lungs. If only if only we could have found a way to, I don't know, like jumpstart the immune system so that when you come in contact with a virus, your immune system like already knows what to do. And and you can fight off this infection before you get sick. I, I don't know. It'll never work sounds a lot like a vaccine, man. Are you sure? (sighs) Yes, but for the record, yes, I am sure. I didn't want that. Hold on. (laughs) I don't want that evil on me. Yes, I am 100% Uh. (laughs) sure vaccines are the way to go. Ooh, I saw a dark road (laughs) for this podcast. And
1: this is the moral of the meta AI, right? I mean, this is the moral of that story. Yeah. Is that, uh, you know, James... Is an AI?
0: Oh man, do you think the Meta AI is just based on my verbal pattern?
1: <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. You know what? I think we have the answer. The reason that uh, Galactica was failing so much is that they've been basing their syntax uh, on listening to Science
0: Night. <laughs> yeah, this is why. This is why it was so down about the Phillies losing the World Series. It all makes sense right now. Does <laughs> and pay me Zuckerberg, or at least buy a T-shirt which you can find at cyanite.com.
1: <laughs> or at least just wear a t-shirt. If we say, if we send you a t-shirt, just wear it.
0: Yeah, that's all, we, that's all we're asking for. Again, just like the big warning that Meta has since like put on the Galactica site, don't take any of this with just face value reading. Like you got to actually look at the results that you're getting. Uh, they're going to keep fine-tuning this, and maybe it will actually turn into something super useful. Who knows? Um, But for right now, as with all things that you are, like, reading, whether it has to do with science, news, World Cup takes, just look at who is is, uh, doing the writing and reporting and what the sources are. That has been your science night. Stay safe on the Internet. Roundup. The more you know. I think that I have gotten to the very depths of my knowledge of AI, but it's a good thing we got Indiana Science's own Rufus Cochran to talk more about it. We're going to bring that to you in just a minute, but first, a message from a podcast that I think you will enjoy. Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird,
1: unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. They make the sound by vigorously rubbing their penis on their abdomen. (laughs) Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Then at night, they come out and crawl around your face and mate with each other. Oh, oh. But I would like to sleep tonight as naturalists let's face it we find something dead we go and we poke it with a stick i did that with the That's deer what, like three weeks ago as you do
1: rachel rachel no, no no you weren't paying attention blood and mucus
2: oh right sorry <laughs> Oh, oh right. No. this episode is going off the rails this is the quality oh, content people come here for. <laughs>
1: strange by nature podcast was chosen as one of the best science podcasts of 2021 come join the fun wherever you find your podcasts
2: But I know we'll meet again some sunny day.
0: welcome back to the science night podcast tonight we are lucky enough to have one half of indiana sciences here in front of me right now we have data scientist and all around sci-commer
2: rufus cochran yeah there we go my name is uh my name is rufus cochran i am a data scientist at a uh, medical device manufacturer here in central indiana
0: the reason i kind of thought about you and and i know i know like you don't 100%. I don't actually really know what you do, but <laughs> other than r- the king of Indiana sciences. Uh, but I know that you've talked about AI and data science and that kind of stuff before. The thing that really brought your name to my mind to pair with the new segment we're doing is because we're talking about the Meta AI Galactica search engine that came out, okay. where they basically used an AI program to aggregate scholarly journals. And what happened is one and one user called it a random bullshit generator. (laughs) So I don't want to specifically talk about that story, but I want to talk about like what are we seeing with ai what are we seeing with data science what are the things that we're finding and then we also talk about indie sciences because of course we're going to talk about india sciences for sure gotta get those plugs
2: in hey that's uh that's the bread and butter right that's gotta you gotta keep the lights on that's how... yeah <laughs> no no that's a really thank you for giving me that context because you know i'm not familiar with that story in particular but stepping back that problem Sounds like a very common problem in mm-hmm. in data science, right? Where you've right. you've got a system, especially one of these systems that you know is what we'll call like deep learning, as opposed to like regular machine learning. One of the challenges that can come out of those deep learning models is that they're they're usually a lot more uh, what I'll say like black box than your other solutions, um, and that's because what you have is a a system of artificial neural networks that that train themselves essentially if we take that a really high level on the just highest level of parameters of what you're looking for so you give it a very high level set of rules and then as it pulls in all the data related to the thing you you allow it to tune and build its own um models to try and find that solution right and so the challenge is in the in the way that you define the rules in the data that you select um for this model which is usually unsupervised learning as opposed to supervised learning um, which is i train i kind of like manually set up a set of golden records that i feed into the system and then i work against that as i train the model for things out in the wild whereas unsupervised learning is I just start pouring things in from the wild and then let the system pull out the things that it thinks is valuable and then it I interpret those decisions I interpret those outputs from the system right so supervised versus unsupervised learning there but with these deep learning systems right you have more of a black box it's generating those um, those models and it's harder to to tease out the direct correlation between you know, inputs and outputs, um, which is you know, one of those challenges. And there's also always that you know, that challenge of as we've defined the rules um, that we want the model to, to work against, there can be one, bias in those rules, but two, in the amount of data that we pour in or the way that that data is structured, We can kind of lead the witness. Right. And so what you were talking about is, uh, you know, training this model to say, you know, are vaccines safe and we get a a yes and a yes because yes. And this is kind of like circular logic. It's if we pour in a lot of data where there maybe there is consensus, it's really easy for the model to overfit on that yes space and give you the the yes, yes, yes answer. Without more, without more nuance, right? Because the thing I always uh, talk about when we're doing AI stuff or you know anything in this data science space is the model's going to do exactly what you tell it to do. Any computer system, any program is going to do exactly what you tell it to. So if you tell it go find you know the answer to this question, it's going to find you the the answer to that question without nuance, and unless that's part of what it happens to find. And it's just going to give you the the answer, right? Um, it we a lot of the times project a lot of our human values. or we anthropomorphize these systems? When in reality, they're just they're very sophisticated pattern finding tools, right? They they find a pattern, they find a thing, and then they tell you that. But we like to say, "Oh, this algorithm is bad." It's good, or it's telling us X, or it's doing this thing, and it's like, nope, it's just doing what it was programmed to do. We we interpret those outputs as being good, bad, or or ugly, right? So,
0: like you said, we kind of pin all our hopes and dreams for getting through these mountains of data, because the one thing we're finding is that oh boy, do we have data mm-hmm. as as like any kind of science. Mm-hmm. There's just there's a lot. And we kind of pin our hopes and dreams on this, like, deep learning AI to help us find the way through. But we're finding out that, you know, we can't just, like, open up the search bar and have it be working from the beginning. There's a lot more that goes into it. And I think, you know, having you talk about, like, you got you got to train it and you got to put some some thought into having you do that. How? How are these app- uh, How are the applications that are doing a good job at utilizing deep learning? Is it as simple as they're putting more thought into training the AI, or is it that they're looking at a smaller amount of data, or is it like a combination of everything?
2: To your point of kind of like starting at the start, um, if we kind of just level set in the in the beginning, right? So we've got in this in this data science space these different tools. AI is a term that's been around for a, a long time. We can go back into like the, the 60s or so, and we're using like the term AI. And what writers at the time, you know, were saying is, you know, these this term AI is really kind of a catch-all for everything that's just right on the outside of what we can currently do and understand, the kind of fantastical in the computer oh, science sure. space. Whereas... A lot of what we think of is of AI is really uh, machine learning, right? And machine learning is a, is a suite of tools that we have in computer science that takes some some pretty like straightforward tools and math that we've had and do. the time that's passed since a lot of these tools were built you know especially like in the 80s a lot of these better computational ways to do you know regressions uh, logistic regressions classifiers and things like that we can take these tools that do a good job of finding patterns in data and finding you know trends in data and what i always think about is like turn it up to 11 we've got all this data so much more processing power now and so we can find trends in larger and larger data sets or we can find tons of trends in you know a lot of small sets and then uh, use like ensemble models to bring those all together right using you know just training dozens of different types of models on data to find things that we couldn't even thought of finding before because our computation power and the amount of data we have is so much Higher AI is really, you know, a term that's it's really good at a, a general public-facing level to kind of invoke that awe and wonder. Um, it's also, I'll just you know, spoiler alert, it's really good uh, to aim at like middle management and company leaders. Uh, <laughs> if you're a consultant, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Uh, and and so what I always kind of joke of is, you know, if, if you're if you're selling something, an idea or a product, it's AI. If you're if you're actually over here explaining the solution it's usually machine learning and uh, machine learning is just a lot of those tools for math that you know aren't super sexy right like oh you know regression or whatever brought to bear on really large data with uh, a lot more powerful processing because you know if you, if you come into a meeting and you you tell your boss like hey i'm gonna you know take a regression uh, over this time period and i'm going to repeat it at multiple intervals and then integrate between it you know across the moving average they're like i'm already asleep johnson get out of the office right (laughs) but if you tell them you know hey i'm going to use a a mars-based arima model to predict the future of your sales they're like they're like this man's a wizard like they're like you know so so
0: basically like ai started out as this this kind of like uh, computer science jargon for not attainable quite yet, mm-hmm. like the future, mm-hmm. and it has now kind of worked its way out of the scientific jargon and into marketing, is what I'm hearing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a, an apt summary of, of the journey. Of there that. we go. So there
0: uh, we go. You know, maybe maybe in science communication there is a place for jargon. Who knows?
2: I think that's always a good place to level set. You know, these machine learning tools are what we're using, and so the the one that comes up a lot are um, these artificial neural networks. The most basic one that, that I can kind of describe is is what's called a, a single perceptron artificial neural network. And you go, that's, what is this? And so it's it's one little artificial neural network part. And the best example that I can uh, think of is, it's we're going to decide what a chair is, right? We're going to take hundreds and hundreds of pictures, and we're going to push it through this artificial neural network to decide if it's a chair. So we've got our our inputs, which are gonna be, you know, the picture itself, and then we'll do a little pre-processing to decide what's the color of that chair, how many legs does it have, um, and what material is it made of, of, right? So that pre-processing is probably a couple of other artificial neural networks, but ours is just gonna take those inputs. And so the first thing we're gonna put in is a standard wooden four-legged chair. Right, and it's going to be green, and so we put that in there. And this is supervised learning. We say this is a chair, four legs, wood, green, and the the, the thing weights all those equally because it's got one, and it says okay, any of these things are true, thirty percent, thirty percent, thirty percent. This is a chair, and so it puts in the next thing, and it's uh, you know we're close to a a holiday, uh, so I'll say you know we put in a. Uh, a jello mold right and it's it's green uh it's got one-ish leg and it's made of jello right and so it initially is going to guess uh it's got one of the three "Mm, that that may be one and we tell it nope that's not right and so it goes hey maybe color is not as important because these were both green one was one wasn't uh but jello definitely isn't a good material for a chair probably and maybe one leg's not the best right and we iterate over that thousands and thousands of times until we get a pretty good sense that the material and the number of legs probably gives us a really good indication of if that picture is a chair. And the color probably doesn't tell us much, right? And that's a simplistic version, but that's how one artificial neural network, a single perceptron, would would uh, handle that problem. Uh, for the, the math fun people in the background, you know, it it turns into an array that we vectorize and we solve that set of equations uh, with vector calculus and get an an answer out, right? And we can build that array vector as large as we need to to have more parameters or even layered parameters um, where we stack multiple things in front of each other to have more interacting parameters, right? So now that's... We, now we're all experts in supervised, <laughs> supervised artificial sure. neural networks, right? Now, where, where it gets fun is when we say, okay, artificial neural networks training artificial neural networks, training artificial neural networks. And it's, it's this system where we don't supervise it anymore and, and tell it these are the right answers, these are the parameters that tell you what that right answer is. We just build a very high-level scaffolding to say you exist in a world maybe where there there are chairs and there are you know objects and we want you by getting just thousands and in this case we're millions and millions of things put in front of you try to suss out what a chair is right and so we just pour tons and tons of things in there and all that data and over time the model unsupervised narrows down into what it thinks that that chair is and then tells us hey I've picked these parameters that I think are very good indicators of a chair and it probably wouldn't even touch the color of it right it would say you know what's the the legs what is the the size what's the material like maybe even the reflectivity of it you know things that we wouldn't even think about putting in there it over time will find things that are from its perspective the best to identify that thing, right? Um, and so that's kind of where we make that jump between supervised artificial neural networks. This kind of you new, know, this first level, and this jump to unsupervised deep learning. And that's that's also where those challenges come in. Of like, you know, we don't have the direct correlation all of the time, especially as we build more consumer friendly off-the-shelf solutions that, you know, that apply these techniques to large data sets out in the wild. What's under the hood is not always visible to the folks using it, and it's not just an abstract thing. Like, you know, It's libraries that we have in Python that we don't know exactly how all the underneath is built unless you go into the open source code and look at it, but there are those working assumptions underneath what you've done that you're working upon as well. Right, which is, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants. That's a good thing. But it's also, it makes it a, a less one to one understanding um, of exactly how the thing is always working, if that makes sense. If I didn't get too generalized there at the no, end. No,
0: no, no. I now have a better understanding between like the guided and kind of like unguided version of this. Um, I'm glad you used a chair because. When we talk about, you know, just hypothetically, some kind of machine learning system that's unguided and determining, like, I don't know, nuclear threats or something, (laughs) like a network of things in the sky, uh, where that, (laughs) you know, I, I can see why that gets people a little bit itchy when we talk about AI. I guess maybe that's another interesting thing to talk about. Like, have you seen a shift in the public when we talk about AI as uh, maybe a net negative because all we've ever seen is the Terminator? And now we have, like, Dolly 2 that we can kind of play around with and make these, these weird descent into madness through the looking yeah, glass yeah, images the,
2: the, <laughs> those, those images that you know for some reason tickle these like weird existential dread yeah. feelings in the back of your head
0: or create like you know the first uh, the first digital cryptid the i was just reading mm. about the lobe uh, uh was it lobe loeb uh i've huh. not heard of this we'll, but that, we'll put a link yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll put a link on this website you, you got you gotta check it out it's it's nightmare fuel yeah,
2: it's it's funny. I um, I do do a talk sometimes at Starbase Indy, a Star Trek convention here in Indy, and one of the things that I like to talk about is you can see kind of the the general vibe that people have about AI across the generations of Star Treks, right? So. I know your whole audience isn't Trekkies, so I won't go too deep into anything, but if we look at, but I know there's a lot out there, uh, don't get me wrong, yeah, absolutely. So, um, there's, a, there's a whole
0: Indianapolis based, uh, thing about it that's happening yeah. in, like, a couple days, yeah. while, while we're talking, yeah. not during, not when we're released it. right, <laughs> uh,
2: but if you look at the original series with Captain Kirk, you know, made back in the, in the, I think, like, 60s, early 70s, right? You see AI as this challenge against Kirk, and, you know, it'll take over some of these cities and kind of force people, you know, to live in a perfect utopia. And it, you know, it it wants to do well, but it, it doesn't understand humans. And Kirk, uh, in one episode, famously has to give a logic puzzle to uh, one of them to, like, blow the AI's mind and get control of the ship back, right? And it's, it's more of this curiosity that you know, if wielded wrong can be evil, but, you know, is is also running the ship and is there to help us, right? And then you go into the 90s, um, where we have this period of the next generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. And in, in that period, the late 90s, early 2000s, you really see AI as this partner with us. You see data, The cyborg, you know, cybernetic who, you know, Kirk has to fight for his rights as a citizen of the Federation so he's not taken apart. And uh, we see the Doctor on Voyager uh, that grows with the crew and learns as they learn and really has his own journey and a showdown on copyright law and in the middle of the of the series <laughs> as well. But to your point of this uh, AI art, uh, there's a whole episode about does the um, story, the hollow novel that he writes, does he get to keep the copyright for it because he's just a AI system and not a citizen who gets to have copyright? But I digress. So a very positive partnership view of AI. And then we go to the newest series. And... Spoiler alert for those who haven't watched Picard season one. It came out a couple of years ago, but um, our Discovery the the middle season. So, I sp- spoiler alert on that for anybody. But I'll keep it general. Those series show a very like big bad version of AI. Kind of what you were alluding to. A lot of the the zeitgeist right now is AI is controlling our feeds and our algorithms and interference from other countries and you know negative influencing and those kind of things right um, and you see that reflected in the science fiction in star trek of in pretty much all these series the ai is is a bad guy in a lot of these right and so i think to your question yes just if i use my star trek barometer we've seen a a very positive view and a very negative view of ai and i'm using my air quotes for the previous discussion on that right of ai being this bad thing today right and i think you know it makes sense because science fiction art is a reflection of the feelings of the people in the society and you know it's a art's kind of an emotional history of a period if we think about it right and so we're we're seeing in that in that recording of today's emotional history that ai is not always seen as that positive guiding light that can help us like it was in the 90s, early 2000s when it was newer, we've, we've had more experience and it's not always been positive. And, and we've seen, you know, especially now is more of systems that use machine learning, more of this AI is employed in things that touch our everyday lives. We're learning a lot more about, hey, what are the biases that are built into these systems? What are the, the challenges um, and unintended consequences of optimizing a system to keep your attention. Because like uh, I kind of mentioned before, one of my favorite things to say is computer science, you know, data science, these systems are going to do exactly what you tell them to do. And they don't care about the method of getting there, right? They're just looking for an optimal solution. So if you tell a system, here are the, the overall rules, Your objective is to keep people's eyes on this screen, it's going to do whatever it finds as optimal to do that. Unintended consequences could be you're going to pull on some of the worst subconscious and emotional strings in humanity to keep people plastered on that screen. And it's not because the system is bad or you know the algorithm wants to hurt us, right? It's doing what it was programmed to do and that's the optimal path that it found because we as humans designing that system didn't think about the all of the uh, impacts of that and build in safeguards and build with, you know, kind of the uh, term right now like ethical AI in mind and really thinking about the ethics of the things that we are building not just the efficiency of the things that we are building. Right.
0: I like that. I like that. You know, like the algorithm, the machine isn't bad. Unfettered capitalism is bad. <laughs> <know>. <laughs>
2: and, that, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we make those jokes of like, you know, as soon as we let AI be sentient, it goes and it destroys humanity. Right. Well, if, if, <laughs> if its program is protect the, the planet at all means. Right. That may be the solution. And fine. We have to keep in mind what those safeguards and what the unintended consequences of the things we build are. That comes from I think having one better access and better knowledge to the technologies, but two, just like in any industry, increasing the you know diversity of people yeah. building these things, right? Because it's a lot harder to kind of gloss over unintended consequences when you have a lot of different perspectives looking at a problem, right? If you have a lot of hive mind, a lot of the same type of people all looking at a problem, they're probably going to have a lot of blind spots, right? Because that's a, that's a lot of the same brain working in a fast, straight line, not in a wide, more, better perspective, right?
0: I mean, I think you kind of touched on the thing that is the problem in tech right now, is, is uh, injecting diversity and creating equitable solutions to kind of increasing diversity is we got to figure something out because uh everyone out there kind of looks like the bad guy from the revenge of the nerds movie right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes i hope there is an issue because you're right like if the people training the machine learning programs are all trying to like come up with the solution of increase the bottom line by this amount in quarter four there there's going to be different outcomes than if you want to create something to build a community and have that in mind
2: so it's diversity in, in all of the lenses right um because one of the big examples that comes to mind for me is you know diversity in gender race religion creed and but in, in another space you know economic and socio-political diversity, right? Um, If you look at earlier models of um, how credit scores were calculated, one of the factors that they would look at was spending at a, a grocery store versus a convenience store. And, you know, these folks, most of them older white men, in suits, you know, look at these different correlations in accounting and say, you know, we see this correlation between spending in this area and low credit score. So we're going to put that in there, right? Not realizing, or maybe realizing, you know, I I can't put uh, intention on this thing, but that, you know, the higher prevalence of convenience stores over grocery stores correlate with food deserts also correlate with redlining and structural racism within the country, and the next thing you know it, you have a, a baked-in method of reinforcing those you know structural disadvantages in your credit score, which is one of the fundamental ways that people can buy houses and have access to capital. Having people that understand life from a different perspective is so valuable because these that's an algorithm that was built that instantly structurally disadvantaged people, right? That's an example where the stakes are are very high, right? And as more and more algorithms, as more of these systems are implemented in all of the ways we operate, those stakes just get higher and higher, which is why that, that ethical AI and, and diversity in the creation of these systems is so important.
0: You know, and just kind of like Bringing everything back together on the AI conversation, you can see where like Meta tried to weigh all of these scientific journal articles out equally without putting putting any kind of uh, weighting system on different kinds of articles, and then you get a bunch of gobbledygook coming out because. <laughs> Because they're putting a Fox News interview at the same weight as like a, a Nature article, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I can see where this is all coming coming <laughs> together. Um, I want to take a little bit of time because you you mentioned Starbase Indy. You uh, are very active in the Indianapolis science communication scene. We're gonna call the scene. We're gonna make this a thing. Sure. Uh, I- why don't I'm you about talk about? It. <laughs> yeah, why don't you talk about Starbase Indy? Why don't you talk about Indiana Sciences? Why don't you talk about? I don't know, fighting little robots against each other, all the things that you do that are fun and exciting.
2: Yeah, so um, um, I'm also the um, founder and executive director of Indiana Sciences. We're a science communication nonprofit um, that really focuses on you know, bringing the awe and wonder to people um, through the lens of science, right? Re- reconnecting with the natural world and the science that's in our everyday life. One of the events that's coming up that we're really excited about Starbase Indy, a large Star Trek convention that is here in Indianapolis. A great chance to hang out with other nerds, talk about the science behind Star Trek, and do one of our favorite events, Drink with a Scientist, where we we sit up in the, the hotel lobby bar for a couple hours and let anybody come by and talk with scientists about any of the questions that they have. One of the other big events that we've got coming up is the season finale of our Books, Booze, and Brains program, which is a, a monthly book club where we pick a book that has a science theme and then have subject matter experts talk about the science behind that book. And we are super excited, um, November 29th, 6.30 p.m., um, if you're in central Indiana, come down to Ash and Elm Cidery, which has the best food and best cider. Um, but we're going to have Afrofuturist art, uh, author Maurice Broadius and electrical engineering professor Carlotta Berry um, talk about the science behind Black Panther, and it is going to be a blast. We're doing the um, Chad Priest arc of Black Panther and the Ta-Nehisi Coates, A Nation Under Our Feet arc, and both of those, one, are just great graphic novels, um, great things to read, but Carlotta and Maurice, we've had them at different Indiana Sciences events before, They are amazing speakers, very knowledgeable, and a ton of fun to listen to. So if you check out any of our social media at Indiana Sciences, you can find it live streaming November 29th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I am going to promote the heck out of that (laughs) and definitely be
0: watching on the live stream. And while you just follow all the Indiana sciences stuff all the time, we love Indiana sciences and we also love going to Gen Con. Why don't you talk about how like you started talking about the science of science fiction at everyone's favorite tabletop convention?
2: Yeah, so um, we do a series at um, Gen Con. Um, at Indie PopCon, Starbase Indie, at a lot of the different conventions here in Indie called the Science of Science Fiction, um, where we get a panel of scientists, uh, each with you know different expertise, and let them talk about the science behind your favorite you know, TV shows, games, um, series, anything that's in you know that realm of you know science fiction, fantasy, um, talk about the actual science behind it, and that panel is one of our most uh, successful we do it at a lot of different conventions and we were super honored and really happy to have you guys the folks from science night come out hang out with us and do not one not two but a three-part series on gen con really amazing episodes by the way those are a lot of fun to listen to and your interview with the folks at sun king is is a treat to listen to
0: I know that the people at Sun King that make decisions out there are listening to this episode, and I'm just saying, you got a local science entity that's doing something about books, brains, and booze. Like, (laughs) I'm not saying that you have to reach out and uh, get on to the coattails of Indiana sciences, but, you know sun king brewery what are we doing here like get on indiana sciences
2: ride the wave that's, that's right uh, <laughs> yeah so those episodes of the podcast are out and we'll be um we'll be doing restreams of those in december uh for anybody who wasn't able to attend so um keep uh, keep an eye on that same at indiana sciences uh you know twitch twitter youtube facebook And, uh, you know, take a watch, check it out. And then also listen to the podcast episodes because a lot of material and it's not all the same. There's totally different parts of this that you want to listen to. That's right. You know, maybe we'll do one of those cheeky re-releases
0: of those episodes of the podcast in the wintertime when people were people are actually listening to podcasts. Hey, who knew people were doing other stuff in the summer when we (laughs) released them originally? Wait, what what are you talking about? Uh, (laughs) Rufus... Thank you so much for your time and for talking to us. Uh, everyone go out, follow Indiana Sciences, go to our website. We'll link to everything that Rufus is doing. Thank you again.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And uh, everybody, don't be afraid of the AI um, in, until you need to be. It's, uh, it's, it's our friend most of the time.
0: And now we'll finish with like, Daisy, Daisy. <laughs> have made it to the end of another edition of the science night podcast but don't worry we've got a few more episodes left in us this year so why not follow us on social media so you do not miss a thing if you want to follow me i'm on twitter at james underscore read three and i'm also on mastodon but i have no idea what i'm doing over there so stay tuned Steffi, you can follow her at Steffi deem and she's on instagram at starship and which is the much more fun dog filled uh of the feed so go ahead and follow her and jason where can everybody follow you you can find me syncing on twitter at oregon JM. follow the podcast at psy night pod and visit our home on the web Cynight.com, for all of our other socials past episodes links to the stories we talk about and the people that we talk to and our merch We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. And until then, have a great night. The Science Night Podcast is a proud member of the River Power Podcast Mill. To find out more about our shows, go to riverpower.xyz.